Just a quick break to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio with none of the junk. I'm talking no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Element can help you to not only reach your highest performance goals, but also will fuel you in the day-to-day to live your healthiest and most efficient life. Put to the test, Element has been used by the U.S. Olympic team, NFL, NBA, NHL, special force teams, and hundreds of thousands of humans who are striving to live their healthiest life. I've been using Element every single day for the past few months, and whether it's gearing up for a hard track workout or trying to focus on some podcast work, I always feel better, more alert, more hydrated after taking Element. You guys can get a free Element sample pack with any purchase through our custom URL. All you have to do is go to drinklmnt.com slash the running effect my favorite flavors are watermelon and raspberry salt uh would definitely check those out to get started element offers no question asked refund so you can try it totally risk-free today if you don't like it they will give you your money back no questions asked guys i'm confident you guys are gonna love it again go to drinklmnt.com slash the running effect to get your free element sample pack with any purchase okay let's get back into today's episode Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and if you have not done so already, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Many of you listening right now have not done those two things, and doing those two things, again, takes like no time and helps us out exponentially. And then something all of you can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with someone who you think would find benefit and value from it. Today on the podcast is someone who I've been wanting to get on the podcast for over a year now. Um, The main man's name is Hobbs Kessler. I'm I'm sure many of you guys know who he is. Hobbs competes professionally for Adidas and trains with the Very Nice Track Club in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, He holds the American U-20 record in the 1500 meters when he ran 334.36 at the Portland Track Festival in May of 2021. He was also the 12th boy to ever break four minutes in the mile. He did that in, I want to say, February 2021, where he ran 356.66, which is also the American high school record for the indoor mile. As a professional, Hobbs has done some incredible things. He's made it to the U.S. Olympic trials. He's run, I want to say, 739 in the 3K indoors this past season. He's won a bunch of races. Um, He won a road mile uh, so far this season. So... Hobbs is on a tear, and I had to get him on the podcast, had to uncover his story and go through these races and different moments that have kind of shaped who he is today. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Hobbs is the man. I, I love my conversation with him. Definitely walked away from this conversation a better version of myself, more motivated, very inspired, and I'm sure you guys will say the same after listening to it as well. So without further ado, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with the one and only, the record breaker, the man, the myth, the legend, Hobbs Kessler. Hobbs Kessler, a pleasure to say you're on the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. So first question for you. You're currently in Michigan. You travel a little bit for training here or there, but how long have you lived in Michigan and what are some of your favorite spots or things to do in Ann Arbor or just Michigan in general? So I've I've lived in the same house, my, I guess, my whole life until I, I uh, until recently. So I've, I'm a townie. I've lived here my whole life. Um, I, I, I've done stints and flag. That's about the only other place I've ever, uh, ever experienced. But, um, yeah, I, I would say, uh, Ann Arbor is just, I think it's an underrated running city. There's a ton of good, uh, good river paths, a ton of good single track, soft surface, um, and it all links together well. So there's a lot, a lot of great places to run, very underrated, but the, the, my favorite is Barton Hills. Um, any Ann Arbor people know what I'm talking about. Um, but then the classic is, uh, running in the arb. That's, um, one of the more iconic spots for, for doing workouts, uh, in Ann Arbor. Can you agree with me though, that it's probably miserable for like three, four months out of the year in the winter. <laughs> Cause in Toledo, it's like, I hate training. Although you guys yeah. have the nice indoor track situation where you can just do your workouts indoors, which probably helps you out. Yeah, I so I've been gone for, um, until recently, but I've heard the weather all April is terrible. Um, but it's, it, it's pretty bad. November through April. It's not, not super lovely, but, um, I'm lucky I have like the, uh, the ability to like kind of skip town when, when the weather gets really bad and go, um, 
go to flag or, or other places or we also have inner track so it's um it's not the worst thing we can survive so going back 10 years ago you turned 20 this past march um so 10 mm-hmm. years ago rewinding the clock to 10 year old hobbs if you would have told him that 20-year-old Hobbs would be running professionally for Adidas and running with some of the best in the world, what would he have thought of you? I would have been like, man, I, I, just, I want to be a pro climber. That's terrible. <laughs> like, what, what went wrong? Because you've grown up in Ann Arbor and in Michigan your whole life, were you aware growing up? We'll get into your start in the sport and then eventually in this episode, but I'm curious, like, were you aware growing up that like people like Nick Willis and Ronnie like existed and were like legends because Nick, you know, he was competing for like Olympic medals back in the day, probably when you were growing up. So were you aware of like how prestigious Michigan was and some of the professional runners in the area were growing up? Yeah. I I remember watching um, Nick get a medal in 2016 and being like, well, like, that's crazy. Like that guy lives a mile away from me. Um, and at that point, my dad, um, was already pretty close with Ronnie, um, and would run with Nick on occasion and stuff. So, so, um, I hadn't met either of them at that point, but like they were kind of family friends, um, already. So it, it like, it was, they were like super distant, but, um, it was weird. My relationship with Ronnie, cause I was, uh, I was really close with his son before I ever, um, had a, any sort of like coaching relationship with him. He was just like my Luke's dad at first, um, which which is what is a little weird looking back at it now. And then flag this past trip. How was that trip for you? How are you liking training right now? How are you feeling going into the season? I know it's kicked off. I mean, you raced last week, so how are you feeling right now? Yeah, it it was a good camp. Um, I kind of like feel like I'm dubbing this season like a a revenge tour because like last year was my first year as a pro and I made like a lot of mistakes and. Those were like I wasn't going to avoid them. They were inevitable mistakes that every pro makes it at um, points in their career. So I'm happy to get them out of the way. But I'm like I kind of have a better understanding of how things work, how to train, all that. So um, things have just gone a lot smoother this year um, than last year, and it's easier to keep your head in the game racing when like training's going better and and all that. So it it was a good camp. Um, some hiccups here and there, but that's that's running. That's how it goes. What are some of those biggest lessons you learned during your rookie year last year that going into this year, you're like, I'm going to learn from my mistake and, and do better this time around? Oh, man. I mean, the real big takeaway was like, just keep like when things aren't going perfect, just stay consistent. You did nothing. Nothing has to be perfect. Um, every season's different. Like. But just showing up, getting enough training done to to keep moving forward but you don't have to nail it every time um because i I always get i would get frustrated like last year i like ran faster in this workout but i also like wasn't acknowledging the fact that i had um like i had missed five weeks due to injury and and all this and all that and and then i also just like i learned a lot of stuff um just about like cross my (laughs) cross my t's down in my eyes it's like i got hired a hired a strength coach like, like I'm applying myself to drills better. Like I'm doing hill sprints more regularly, just little details that kind of compound over a long time. Or even just like, I would just like kind of miss, like go too hard in a workout and um, the next workout wouldn't be as good, stuff like that. So just, just learning, learning the pro lifestyle, I suppose. Within your whole career, not even just last year, when you were talking about the consistency piece, I want to go a little deeper into that. I think that's an attribute that I see most commonly in high-performing individuals is their ability to not get ahead of themselves and just put in the consistent work day after day after day. How important has that been for you in your own career, not just your pro career, but your high school career, growing up in the sport, even rock climbing, consistency isn't limited to running. How important has consistency been in your personal growth? I would argue like the two factors um, that make a great a great runner are talent and consistency, and you have no control over talent, um, and you can only work so hard. Like running, it's like everyone's like, I want to be the best, but I'm not as talented as those guys. I have to work harder. You you can only work so hard. If you run 100 miles a week for three weeks and you're hurt for the next four, like you ended up not running that much over those seven weeks. So um, I just think consistency is the most potent tool 
we have to like be great runners, um, especially towards the end of our career. Because if you think about it, over a 10, 15 year career, it compounds so much. Um, so that I guess, yeah, consistency is the thing I value most. Um, and I'm finding little tricks here and there to um, like help that along. But it, it, it requires a lot of discipline. Like everyone thinks like, oh, I'm working so hard. I'm gonna do an extra 300 um, at the end of my workout and smash it and feel really good about myself. But at the end of the day, like it almost takes more discipline to like be like, I've gone as hard as I need to go. I'm going to call it here. I'm going to let the other guys finish their workout. I got, I'm not going to like worry about my ego getting dropped. Like I'm going to get my work in so that I can have a good workout the next Friday, the next Tuesday and so on and so forth. Cause again, like I said earlier, I, I've made that mistake of like hanging out for dear life to Ben and then just being trashed. So. Yeah, I'm curious, how instrumental have those individuals been? And by individuals, I mean like your, your dad, your mom, uh, Ronnie, Ben, Morgan, the guys on the team, uh, the people in the Ann Arbor community who have gone through some of the things you're going through now. How instrumental have they been to kind of instruct you and be like, hey, I made this mistake at this stage in my career. Don't make this mistake. Or, hey, cut the last 300. Like, just call it a day yeah. or things like that. How instrumental have they been in teaching you some of those lessons and walking you through the sport in your first few years as a professional? Yeah, I mean, like ben, Ben's a great example because um, I think Ben – trains incredibly smart um he he's humble and he says it's because he's already made every mistake in the book <laughs> and he, he but he the thing about ben is he only makes mistakes once and he learns from him so he's he's gotten to be really efficient so um i definitely like learn a lot i mean a lot from everyone like you said ronnie but i, I really look up to ben for that reason because he, he's really like again he makes mistakes but he doesn't make them twice um and he, he's really getting his, his training dialed in especially now that his second year with the VNTC, like he, he's killing it. So um, everyone's had their own effect on me though. Like obviously Ronnie's probably had the biggest um, on my running just cause he's the one, he's the mastermind behind the whole thing. But um, I, I don't know. I've learned a little bit from everyone because there's, there's a lot of experience um, between everyone I train with. What's it been like kind of being a, a foundational member of the Very Nice Track Club and, and building it out over the past few years? And, you know, as a fan of the sport for a few years now, I feel like you guys are kind of coming onto the scene as a top running group in the U.S., but also starting to get more attention and also kind of one of those groups that's just very fun and interactive with your fans and constantly showing showing people what it takes to be great and you know luke making the fun youtube videos and ronnie constantly joking and just displaying different sides of all of your character i feel like that's kind of brought very nice track club on the scene as one of the top groups in the u.s as well as kind of one of the more fun ones so what's it been like to be a part of it and just maybe speak to the camaraderie aspect that you guys bring to practice every day i guess i wouldn't say i'm a founding member um, it, it it has it has like it's taken a lot of there's been a lot of people through um the Ronnie sphere, I suppose. Um, so Nick obviously held it down for a while. Um, but no, it, it, it's like for a little while there, it was just Mason and I um, in early 2022. So it's been super exciting to like um, kind of like add, add, add some guys um, and, and see them really do well. Obviously like Ben and Morgan are like the best examples. Um, Ben's with, been with us for over a year. A little over a year and Morgan's a little less than a year um but like they're killing it right now and like I just like I can't imagine without them now um it, it's it's crazy to me like that that it was a thing before them because like they, they feel like they bring their own flavor to it um and that like that yeah a lot of different personalities but yeah, it, I would say it's pretty lighthearted. I guess what I like about it is it's, it's homegrown like there's no brand sponsor um like there, it, it's just like it started with Nick, and then it just kind of like started snowballing. Um, and I just feel like we're a little blue collar, you know. Like we, we, uh, we make it work. But it's just yeah, it's centered around Ronnie. Um, yeah. Who's the most likely to one step on easy days from the team? Uh, well, I think we're, I think we're pretty good about one stepping. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I find myself one stepping. Even we jog pretty slow most of the time, but. I just like we run a lot of trails, like I said, and I like like being able to see where I'm going. So like I'll I'll always wander up to the front. Um, 
but any sort of like tempo work, Mason is a huge one stepper. Um, cause he, he's, he likes, he's really good at that stuff and he really likes to push. So, um, yeah, he, you gotta be careful with him, um, on, on any sort of strength work cause he'll start pushing it right at the hard part. <laughs> Before we go too deep down the, the present day rabbit hole, I want to bring us back a little bit and give some context to what we're talking about today. For those who aren't familiar with you, which I'm assuming 99% of our listeners are, but can you take us back to when you first got started in the sport of running as well as your first impressions of it? Um, yeah, so I basically started running my freshman year of high school. Um, I was decent at it, but I wasn't the top freshman on the team. But the thing that drew me in was – just it was so fun being on a cross country team. It was the greatest thing ever. Um, I like, I really look forward to going to practice every single day. That was the highlight. Um, I didn't like running. I wasn't very fit, but just the guys on the team made it so fun. And it just was like hanging out with your buddies. Um, and my my freshman year, I only ran I ran seventeen twenty for a cross five k, and then I think two twenty five, four fifty four, and 1003 um in the track season so like i wasn't like a stud but and i was like oh i'm gonna quit next year but then i ran cross country and it went a little better and like i really like the guys on the team um and then kind of as high school progressed like i started to really kind of fall in love with the game of running like because i just kept improving and just really learned to enjoy the act of running and then by the time COVID hit i was all in um and a big part of that was I got sixth at the state meet my junior year for cross country. I was the second returner behind uh, Riley, uh, Patrick Burns, sorry. And I was like, all right, I want to win next year. What do I have to do to win? Because, um, again, like freshman year, like nothing indicated that I'd be a top 10 finisher by my junior year. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think I ran one varsity race. Um. So I was like, all right, I'm going to win this race. So that's when I really went all in. Uh, and everything got shut down because of COVID. So I had nothing to do but run. So I just started training. Um, and at that point, Ron Warhurst kind of um, saw like some potential in me and, and uh, picked me up as one of his athletes. And he told me uh, summer of 2020, a year before I, um, I ended up going pro, he's like, and this is to be clear, like my mile, my mile pair at this point was 420. He said, you're going to run 356 next year and go pro and stay training here with me. And I'm like, all right, Ronnie, that's ridiculous. Like, obviously, um, like, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm a 420 guy. And, but sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So, um, yeah, I, I ended up having a really good senior year. My, I built a huge base um, over COVID. And it just, it, it, it um, allowed me to, uh, have a really good winter and spring of 2021 and then ended up uh, signing with Adidas and going pro. Going to that Ronnie story, which is so fun to hear about, how often do you reflect on that conversation he had with you saying exactly what was going to happen and then it ultimately happening? I mean, I kind of got chills when you said that because viewing your career and the different elements and races throughout that 2021 season and ultimately everything that happened, for him to tell you that a year ahead of time, that's that's an incredible story. Yeah, it, it almost feels like surreal in a way because, um, again, like my mile PR was 420. Like my 800 PR was 159. Like at that point, like I was still – developing like like i was like i wasn't even like i was barely like d1 level at that like i was walking on level for him to say like you're gonna like, you're gonna go you're gonna run 356 was wise like he's like i've seen this before and i like I, I shrugged it off but um i guess by like by december 2020 i knew i was gonna break four so it, it escalated pretty quickly um but he's just he's seen so many people, seen so much development, worked with so many people in my age range, like because he was a college coach for like fifty years, he just he just knew it when he saw it because um, he had such a large database. So, yeah, that's like it's, it's crazy. I, I still like it's still kind of mind blowing to me because um, at the time, like if you pull on any high school, like four twenty guy, like you're like. You tell him he's gonna run three fifty six. <laughs> Everyone else can be like, "No, he's not." Like that's not how running works. Like you have to run like 
if you want to if you want to run 356 as a, as a senior in high school you got to run 402 as a junior but he he had that vision what was it like and what is it like to have such a staunch supporter and someone who believes in you because i think a lot of times that's the difference maker is having someone who believes in you and who can i don't want to say hold your hand every day but like keep you up when when you're down or when you're having those negative thoughts and then also celebrate the wins with you and help to propel you forward what was it like having ronnie tell you that and then back it up by supporting you throughout that year and ultimately you know watching you accomplish those things what's it like to have him as a big supporter and, and mentor and friend and coach yeah I would say that's like Ronnie's strongest point as a coach is, um, well, first of all, like the relationship he creates with his athletes, he's incredibly close with all his athletes and, and cares them all about them all deeply. And that, that as an athlete, you can really feel like that connection. Um, so having that shared purpose with someone just makes it easier to show up on a daily basis. And like, I really want to do right by Ronnie because he like puts so much like, put so much into me. Um, and we have this shared purpose together of like trying to run as fast as possible. And along with that, like his superpower is making you believe in yourself. Like I said, like by the, by the end of 2020, December, 2020, I believed that I, I thought of myself as a sub four miler, even though my PR was 420. You know what I'm saying? Cause he was, he just like supported me like, and kind of hyped me up just in the right moments. He like, and knew how to do it. Um, and I, I, I had so much respect for him. I was like, all right, like if, if this guy who coached Nick Willis, Kevin Sullivan, Alan Webb, like thinks I can, like I trust him. Um, and uh, you can only like coaches, like, I don't know. There's a lot of different coaching systems, but at the end of the day, like you can only train so good. Right. So like, what's going to make that difference? Um, like for a be- to have a better coach is is that that emotional aspect or that that connection you have with them and he doesn't coach that many people so each person really gets a lot of Ronnie time when you broke four I think a lot of people had not heard of your name before and a lot of people saw it as an overnight breakthrough can you maybe talk to the aspect of a lot of people seeing it as an overnight breakthrough but you knowing that it was the years of work particularly the year before of base and foundation that you laid with Ronnie that kind of laid the the grounds and the steps for you to break four. Like, I think a lot of people, when they see monumentous achievements, they're like, oh, they had the race of their life or they did a 10 mile tempo before. And like uh, every high school boy wants to look on, on someone's Java and like accredit it to one workout why they ran fast. And yeah. the person yeah. knows that it was years of work that kind of made it happen and not just one workout or one season. Yeah. So like, again, like whenever, when, when everything got shut down because of COVID, um we just like nothing else to do but run so i i didn't miss a workout from february probably earlier but i'm I'm just like um when i switch i'm thinking like when i switched to ronnie so like but basically from from late winter to um august is when i ended up taking a break i ended up doing some time trials later summer and then i took a few weeks off so i didn't i didn't miss a single day um in there i take one day off a week um, so I, would normally take a day off just to like, no running, rest up, especially being a younger guy. I think taking a day off is pretty important. Um, uh, but everything that was, that was prescribed was done. Um, and obviously we made adjustments in there, but when I was having a crummy day, I just, I went and I did enough to make the day worth it to still get better that day. So I only did 80% of what I was, I was supposed to do, but I still got it done. Um, so that like consistency really is what like built upon like is is what the uh spring of 2021 was built upon um and like it it wasn't crazy workouts like it was it would just on tuesday we i'd do like some sort of tempo so i do a three mile tempo four mile tempo five by mile tempo nothing special like 520 pace and then on Fridays, I do some hills, and that was that was my routine for for months. Um, and by the end of the summer, I ended up running eight fifty three, four hundred eight, and one fifty three in, in time trials, paced by Mason and Nick. Um, so I I, I did kind of like have a, like a little like fitness check in, and I took two weeks off, and then the the cross country season was a little, was a little rougher, but again, it was it was that large chunk. Um, but after those time trials, I I felt like I had a 
I was like kind of having a hard time getting recruited by college coaches because um, I, like, didn't, I, I didn't have any marks. So it wasn't until those time trials I was recruited, but I still felt like I was very under the radar and I was like one of the best guys in the class of 2021, but like I wasn't getting any hyper attention. Um, so I was like, I was like a little eager to make a name for myself. And then I did it in one race. Do you miss those days when, as you were kind of talking about there, like you were kind of unknown, you were kind of under the radar and you kind of had like a, a chip on your shoulder to prove yourself, but not enough people knew about you that if you didn't do well on a race, like they wouldn't talk about it. Whereas today, because you're so good, there's such spotlight on you. Do you miss those days when it was kind of like low key Hobbs Kessler versus today where like, because of the times you've ran, it's like everyone wants to know what you're going to run. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, I'm in a different spot now, but it was like, it was kind of fun to like, um, like be an underdog and like it, it almost felt like I was scheming. Like I'm gonna burst out of the scene and I'm gonna like, I'm gonna be the man. Like, and like that that almost anxiety to like prove myself um, definitely kind of helped um, with like motivation because I was, I was just hungry. Um, not to say I'm not hungry now, but. Um, it, it, it did help. February 7th, 2021, you became the 12th American to ever break four minutes in the mile, which is crazy because now we're up to 18. So <laughs> back when it was really, really special, not that it isn't now, but you know what I mean. You're the 12th yeah. to ever do it. You ran 357, which if I'm not mistaken, is the high school American record indoors um, on your first time out. So <laughs> take me through this race. The the I was going to say four laps, but it's eight laps. And ultimately yeah. the, the feeling of crossing the finish line and the emotion you felt. So basically, like starting it in late December, um, I took a little time down from from cross country, and we just like started working on mile pace. Like let's get twenty nines, thirties really comfortable. So um, we basically did a, just a lot of volume um, at at twenty nine thirties, and with some strength work, some hills and some tempos, almost always up front. Um, but we we just started low volume short reps so you start with 200s and we, we got up to pretty big sessions three mile sessions um running four minute pace and it just felt, started feeling easier and easier and easier um because like the the first workout i'm like man that this is fast like I, I don't know about this but we just kept with it over the next two months got fitter and fitter and um before the race i had a really good workout with nick um it wasn't a huge workout, but I just, I just felt really good running running the pace, um, and I think we all knew I was. This was a good opportunity. Um, I was terrified before the race. I was I was incredibly nervous. Like, didn't know what it was going to feel like. I hadn't raced a mile in a year. Like, it was just like I was very nervous. But it ended up being a perfect situation for me. It was the race. There weren't too many bodies in it. We were going just the right pace. Um, I think like I ran like 30 flat, like 60, uh, like 132. Like I was on four minute pace up until like the um, the last lap. And I was like, all right. And then I had an extra gear and then closing at 27. I, I remember like just seeing the clock. If it was a five or a zero, I knew I was on pace because um, they had a clock every 100 meters. And I think it must have been probably 300 out. I like saw like 315 and I was like, like, this is going to happen now. Like it's time to go. And it, I remember being a really scary feeling at the time. Cause I was like, like, we got to make this happen now. Like I have the opportunity, like let's do it. And for some reason that, that possibility was really frightening, but um, I, yeah, closed hard, made it happen. And it was like the greatest feeling ever crossing the finish line, knowing I had gone under. It, it, and then, like, overnight, like, um, everyone in the running world, like, had heard my name, or most people. Um, or at least it felt like that to me, because I was unknown before that. Um, it was wild. It, it was, it was, a, it was a, I don't think I'll ever have anything like that again. Um, Do you think that's your most fond memory in the sport so far? Um. Yeah, either that or their Portland track fest. Like, I guess that was a similar feeling because 
I knew I was good, but I didn't know I, I was like 334 good. So that was like, it almost feel like it was like I skipped a step in my development. Like I wasn't ready for that yet. Like I didn't believe the time even for like the next week. Um, but it, it is such a feeling of euphoria. Um, I hope I get to experience that again. What was the moment like uh, after you broke sub four? What was your first interaction with Ronnie? And what was that moment like with him after he had that conversation with you over a year ago where he said you can go 356 and you're on 357? Yeah. Basically do what he said you could do. What was that moment like and cherishing it, that memory? It was just like, like, holy cow. It was just like, it was wild because like, I guess – I knew I was capable of it, but to actually do it is something else. Um, so it was, yeah, it was euphoria. Like it was just the greatest feeling ever. I felt like the man, um, and Nick and my dad were there to share the moment. So we just like, we just had a good time. Um, that night watched this, I think it was the Super Bowl that night. Um, we did a hill session after, but it was just like, it was just an amazing feeling. I just like remember coming home and just like, giving my mom a hug and it's like, look, we did it. Um, it, it was, it was, it was a really, it's just such a, such a happy memory now. At that point in time, you were committed to run for Northern Arizona University, better known as NAU. After you ran 357, is that when the mindset kind of shifted to, Hey, I could potentially explore this pro thing. Or was it a little further down the line? Like when did you first get the thought to not go to the NCAA and go pro? Yeah, it was it was tricky because I was really committed to going to NAU, running cross country, running under Mike Smith, um, the the whole thing. Um, so it, it it even after I ran three thirty four, um, it was it it was a really hard it was a hard decision. I was I was pretty content to go to NAU. Um, even after I ran through three, four, but it wasn't until we started getting agents involved, like talking about contracts and, and um, realizing like what this opportunity meant um, and the gravity of the opportunity I had uh, where like it became a, an option in my mind to stay in Ann Arbor with Ronnie. Cause again, I really wanted to go run at NAU really wanted to go win a cross national title as a team. Um, and just like, yeah, experience the college team. And it, it's something like, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm sad I've missed out on because closing that door has opened a bunch of other doors for me. Um, but it, 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 it is a bummer. Like I, I would have loved to be on the NAU team. How hard of a decision was that to make where I feel like from an outsider's perspective, you couldn't go wrong with either decision. Um, you know, you're doing fantastic with Adidas right now and in your pro career, but also like if you were at NAU, I'm sure you would have helped them win a team title and I'm sure you'd be crushing it there. So what were kind of the thoughts going through your head when making that decision? And I'm assuming it was like the hardest decision you've ever made. So how do you kind of, you know, try to make the right decision for yourself in that situation and scenario where it's like both paths seem incredible. So what do I do? Yeah, I'm. I'm just glad I don't have to make it, it again. Like I'm glad. I'm glad it's over. That's for sure. Um, and it, and it's one of those things. Like you said, like there was no bad option. Like you either like stay with one of the best middle distance coaches in the world, or go to one of the best, like possibly the best college cross country coach of all time. Um, and like I, I train with amazing runners and amazing people on both sides. Um, but it it ended up just being like. Um, making more sense in a, in a long-term like life way, um, kind of get, like get it while, uh, while my stock's high. Um, and it was like, it, I, I mean, Ronnie's like, he's not super young, so he would have been, I think 83 when I came out of NAU. So he would have been on the older side. And again, I was in, and still I am incredibly close with him. So the, leaving him would have been really hard. Um, but saying no to any, it was, it, it was just tricky, but it, it ended up like Mike Smith called me. He's like, Hobbs, like, I really want you to come and run here, but like, I'm thinking about it. Like, I really think you should, you should stay with Ronnie and go pro. Um, I think that, um, is what makes the most sense for you. Um, and then just talking with Mason, my folks, Ronnie, um, people on both sides, it just ended up, um, being the decision that made the most sense. 
that 1500 race that you brought up, uh, May 29th, is when you ran 334.36 at the Portland Track Festival. And I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, it was some sort of like U20 record or something. And then at the time, this is hilarious, <laughs> perhaps my favorite statistic. Uh, you obviously weren't in the NCAA because you were still in high school at that point. But if you were in the NCAA, it would have been an NCAA record. <laughs> so while you'll never experience the NCAA, you technically would have held a record. So take me through that race. And ultimately, I think one of the most iconic videos and, and photos that was floated around well, in, in my generation of track and field fans was like, you're crossing the finish line. Like what just happened? Uh, so take yeah. me through that race and the feelings of it. So at that point, like, I had had a little more experience on the pro level um, than I did on May or when I ran 357, sorry. So like I had already, like I think I had run three or four pro races at that point. Um, and like obviously in the mile I'd gone to the back, I ran 340 uh, about a, maybe five or six weeks earlier. And again, like I'd gone straight to the back and, um, and just kind of run very passively or defensively almost like, like, Kind of, and then kicked at the end and I ended up placing all right, but I wasn't racing. Like I just, I deserved to be in the field. Um, and I just remember talking to Ronnie and thinking before the race, like if I want to go get the Olympic trial standard, which, which was my goal for the season is to qualify for the Olympic trials. I have to participate in the race. I can't just be like hanging on being the caboose. Um, so I, I, I want to be active. I want to be making moves. Um, and I want to be up front, like riding the wave. Um, so I remember on the studying line, like I'm going to get out the first hundred super hard and get up in the top five. Um, and then if you watch the race, I was dead last at hundred <laughs> meters. I don't know how it happened. Like, um, I, like, I just got spit out the back. Um, they, I'm not very quick off the line. So, um, I was like, all right. And then ended up going around everyone on the bend, um, and kind of fighting my way up to, uh, front of the pack and just kind of tucking in there. And I, I got shuffled around a little bit, but um, the important thing was I was I was a part of the race and kind of I got sucked along with the momentum of a like a really fast race, really good runners, really good conditions. Like it was, um, it was a good day to run fast. Um, and then I just remember like going to the bell, like or I guess at a K, I was like I feel good, and I tried to move up, but I kind of got blocked. Um, and then at 200 meters to go. I saw the clock and I was, I was like, all right, like I, I can get the Olympic, like the standards mine and just like blasting. Um, and at that point, Mason was ahead of me and I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to let Mason beat me. So I found that extra gear to go catch Mason. Um, and then I crossed the finish line and it was like, holy crap. Like I like, I was like, this can't be right. Was there a particular workout going into that 15 that was impressive to you that showed you you could run 334 at least around it that showed you like hey you know my level of confidence is on another level right now i just got pretty comfortable running 57 pace like um i i was really fit but like it wasn't one specific workout it was just like i was just running fast a lot um i was still running high school meets i was running four by fours i was also doing workouts so there were weeks where i'd i'd work out twice and I'd race twice in high school. Um, but it was just like, I just kind of the, com the compound, um, like workout after workout after workout is kind of what got me to that fitness and the confidence kind of like the fitness kind of slowly built. Um, and I did have a few really good workouts in there, but, um, like, I don't know. I'm like kind of hesitant to like say it was one workout. Cause it was the culmination of everything. Yeah, well, workouts can be deceiving. Like yeah. you can go really hard if you'd be feeling really good one day and go really hard and like feel like the man, be like, I'm in such good shape. But that like it's it's not your best workout. It's like it's just the sum of all your workouts. So um there there were so, like there's some workouts where I, I would I did like um I did some hills and like some sixes and three hundreds, and I, I was running race like three thirty four pace pretty comfortably. Um, but I, again, like it, it was just like that I, I could I could do it on a regular basis is what really gave me confidence. Like I didn't need to be feeling good to run a one twenty five six hundred comfortably. 
So you end up qualifying for the Olympic trials with that 334 race. You end up running at the U.S. Olympic trials. Um, just take me through your overall thoughts on your senior year season that will probably go down as one of the greatest track seasons of all time. And I'm sure it kind of felt like a dream where like every race was just incredible in some sense. Like even the races that seemed ordinary, like in May, I want to say, or in April, you ran a two mile and you ran 839, which is an incredible time. But how you ran it was like extraordinary and had people talking for weeks like Hobbs closed in this for the last four and things like that, that like every time you went out, uh, it seemed like you were just doing something remarkable and people were talking about it. And that's why it kind of feels like a dream, at least from an outsider's perspective. So looking back on it, what are your like biggest thoughts and memories removed from it? I guess the only thing I wasn't prepared for was like, I, I just got emotionally so drained um, just because there were so many new experiences, so many new eyes on me. Um, and I, I wasn't really ready to handle it yet. Um, so just like kind of by the end of the season, I was, I was kind of toast. Um, but the one thing I really wish I had done is I really wish I had gone for the, the two mile national record. Um, I, I, I think I was, I in shape for it. Um, and I, yeah, I like, I didn't race. I was a little more selective, um, with my races than someone like, um, like Colin Solomon, I would say like arguably had like a more well-rounded, um, senior season. Like he ran the 148. And he ran like a, a faster um, 3,200 than me. But um, so I kind of wish I had taken a page out of his book and, and pursued a, a few more, um, a few more races, but it was hard just to work around the pro schedule. Cause I was, I was trying to run really fast. Um, like in, in at Portland track fest, that was the main goal. Um, so if I, if I could have snuck a two mile in there, that would have been great. Uh, and if I could have run a fast eight, that would have been great. Um, I don't really know how it would have worked looking back on it. Um, but just the fitness I was in, I think I, I could have come close to the 800 national record. And I think I could have gotten the um, two mile one. But also at the end of the day, they're high school national records. They're not important. Um, but yeah. And then I guess my, my one thing I'll add is like, just by the, by the end of the, by the Olympic trials, I was, I was done. Like, the uh, the decision to go pro kind of fried me emotionally. Um, I didn't have that much emotional bandwidth left um, to go race. So uh, I could I faked it for one round at the Olympic trials, and I just remember sitting on the couch um, the the night after and getting ready for the next round, thinking about tomorrow, and be like, man, like like I don't think I have enough like emotional energy to like to like do this. And I kind of raced as such. So I really wish I, I had the emotional energy to, to really go after that second round. Cause I think it would have been cool to make the final. Um, but also like looking back on it, like I, I was done. Like it was just, it was a lot was thrown at me, thrown at me at once. So I did the best I could. We kind of went through your rookie season so we can scroll past that to, to present day. So far this season, if I'm not mistaken, well, you ran a bunch of races indoors. I'll just have to get you back on the podcast because I feel like there's so much to cover uh, and yeah. you're always welcome on. But most recently, uh, so like this indoor season, you ran, I think most prominently 738 or 39 in the 3K, which is very impressive. But I want to talk about this outdoor season. You've run two uh, pro road miles, which is kind of unique. Like, I, I feel like we don't see road miles too often early season. You've done two of them. Uh, you won the first one in Boston. And I feel like that was another classic Hobbs Kessler moment. I love your celebrations because it's just yeah. like pure elation, joy, arms outstretched. Uh, you won that one, which was cool. And then um, this past week, I want to say you placed second, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So you're getting pretty good at this road mile thing. Take me through like the difference between the road and the track and also how fun these meets are, especially early season when correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like there's a lot less pressure because the time doesn't matter as much you know that it there's not as much stakes so you can kind of race it a little more you know without as much pressure and emotion at that so they're both adidas events so uh it was just important for me to be there um kind of kind of repping um but it, they were both a, it was just a good opportunity to um to practice racing because the time doesn't matter no one's going after a standard so it's, it's whoever crosses the finish line first. And they're both slow courses. Um, so it was, it was good racing practice and um, kind of get those competitive juices flowing. So it was fun to go race. Um, the Boston race was, was 
a really cool opportunity for me because um, just the nature of the course, kind of the, and for those who aren't familiar with the course, it's um, it's a 500 meter loop around the block. So you run 12 90 degree turns, um, but it's not a perfect square. The, the one side is probably only 70, 80 meters. Sounds like Mario um, Kart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a long straight and then you kind of like whip around. Um, and historically, like in recent history, like the person to hit the second to last uh, turn wins the race because you have a 70 meter straight and then maybe another 50 to 70 meter straight to the finish line. So with those turns, there's not enough space to get around people. So the first person to make the move wins. The first person to go into that corner. Um, and I just, I found myself a little intimidated to be the guy to um, kind of instigate to make the move first. So I was like, oh, this is a low stakes race. This is like, no one will remember it in August. This is a perfect opportunity to do something scary. So I, I went hard down the backstretch. I got the turn first and um, I was able to take the win, which is a great feeling. And um, things seemed been tra- like training had been going well, but I was tired. Like I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And um, the, the the person who signed me to Adidas was holding the tape. So that made it feel a little more special. I'm like this, like full circle um, moment. Yeah. Like the guy who gave me the opportunity, like I thought like I was paying him back because his bosses were watching him. So for the athlete he signed to be winning the race, like, it was a good feeling for both of us. Um, so that, and that just gave me good momentum and some good confidence. Um, and I really wanted to win at Atlanta, but Prakel, uh, Prakel got me at the end, but he's, ha- I don't mind losing him. He's having a, he's having a good season. He's a, he's a, he's a good runner. So I'll, uh, I'll get him next time, but it was, it was fun racing him. Yeah. I had him, I had him maybe like 20 meters to go. I just went a little too early. It's a classic road mile mistake. You see the finish and you go. Uh, and I, I tied up a little more than him the last uh, last twenty meters. I felt him coming, but he uh, he he had me. <laughs> What's the the Hobbs Kessler outdoor season looking like? And, and what are some things you're looking to accomplish and experience this upcoming season? So right now, my schedule. I'm going to be racing um, on May 27th, um, the fifteen hundred. Uh, I forgot that I think it's called USATF distance classic is the race. Um, and then I think I'm going to race the next weekend in Nashville at music city. And then um, a few weeks later in New York. Um, so those, be, those will be my three 1500s before USA's. The goal is to either ideally get the standard. I think I'm in shape for it right now. It's a uh, three um, or just get my world ranking high enough. Cause at USA's, I really want to make the team it, I've had my development year. This is the year I want to start competing and, and, and winning races. Um, especially like at USA's, I really want to be competitive. Uh, so try to get everything squared away. So I'm, uh, in the best chance I have, give myself the best chance to make the, uh, us team. That's my goal. I know it's a little far away, but with the Olympic year coming up next year and you having already run the U.S. Olympic trials, that experience that we kind of just documented, how much are you thinking about Paris these days? Or are you just focused on this year and then you're like, I'll think about that another time? All I can do for Paris is stay consistent this year and develop as much as possible, like get as as good as possible this year going into the Olympic year because it'll be here before we know it. Um, and it's just funny because like, when I first signed with Adidas, I'm like, oh, look, it's so far away. Like, it's already coming up. Uh, so I've, I'd obviously, I mean, obviously I w- would love to make the team. That's the main goal. But right now I'm just focused on the day-to-day to make it happen. And then one final serious question for you as we wrap up today's conversation. For those who look up to you, which is hundreds of people who are listening to today's episode and want to do some of the things you've accomplished in the sport or are just currently chasing after their goals and and look up to you, what would be some advice to that person listening who wants to chase after personal excellence and excellence within the sport? Yeah, I I would say like consistency has kind of been the theme of our conversation and chasing consistency. Um, I would say like, you don't have to kill it every day. You don't have to run fast on your easy days. You don't have to go to the well on your workouts. Maybe one, a few times a year when your coach says to, but that's not what makes you good. What makes you good is showing in, showing up day in, day out, um, and you'll just get better over time slowly. It's, it's not sexy, but that's how all the best people um, 
get really good. Like if you look at Jakob Ingebrigtsen, he's been incredibly consistent. If you look at Jake Whiteman, like consistency. So just let let everything build upon itself. But it's not any one workout that will that will make you a great runner. It it's doing everything good enough for a very long time. Hobbs, I've loved our conversation today. One final cherry on the top question. The question I ask every single guest to close out every episode. If you had Gordon Ramsay coming over for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? Let's see. I'd probably make him trying to think. What would he like? Probably a burger. I think a hamburger is probably my favorite food. Cheeseburger. So I I think I can I can make him a pretty mean burger. So that's what that's what we'd be having for dinner. I love it. Well, Hobbs, this is, conversation has been an absolute pleasure. I had high expectations going in, but uh, per usual, you blew them out of the water. So greatly oh, appreciate you. you coming on the podcast and looking forward to running it back soon enough. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. Okay, Hobbs, that's a wrap. Ton of fun, man. I feel like we could have covered a whole lot. So I'll have to have you yeah. back on in the summer. Um, but yeah, greatly appreciate know. you doing this because you know, I've looked up to you for a while and um, it's it's just been incredible to see what you've done in the sport. So to make this one happen and fulfill the crazy amount of DM requests I get to get you on it, it's it's great. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, come up to Ann Arbor and uh, come do a workout or a run. We'll do it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I don't take your time for granted, and I hope that today's episode impacted you and left you walking away inspired and all the more motivated to chase after your biggest goals and walking away a better version of yourself. Make sure you're following the podcast, have given us a five-star review, and consider sharing with a friend. Through that, we can reach new people and hopefully inspire them in the process. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at The Running Effect to stay up to date on all the exciting projects and all the new episodes coming out. Generally, we release two to three episodes per week, so stay tuned for all of those coming your way shortly. I hope you're running and life is going well. Guys, keep chasing mastery, and I will catch you in next episode.